This is Leah Jones, Director of Financial Planning at Hightower Bethesda. Thanks for joining me today as I explore topics that I hope arm you with the ability to make smart financial decisions. Thanks for tuning in, everyone, to our Women Business Owner Series hosted here at Hightower Bethesda. My guest today is Jessica Markham from Markham Law. And just to give you some background on her and her company, she started Markham Law in 2015, and at that time she was a solo practitioner. Cut to 2020, and Markham Law has seven attorneys on staff. It's based in Bethesda. Uh, Both her firm and Jessica have been named as best lawyers in America. Uh, Jessica specifically has been named on the Washingtonian, the Bethesda Magazine, she was selected on the Reader's Poll, which is uh, selects one of seven top lawyers in the area. Um, and we are also speculating that she is the youngest person on the Washingtonian list. So she is e- either the youngest or the youngest on the Washingtonian list. Uh, she's retained by other in, uh, attorneys for her specialty in quadro work, among other things. So um, really excited to have you here today, Jessica, and you clearly have a lot of background. You've done a lot in a very short period of time. You've grown your firm significantly. Um, you know, there's a lot of different things that I'm excited to talk to you about today. And I thought maybe one of the, the first things that we could just start with is what made you decide to, to take that leap of faith to go from being an employee to being an employer? It's hard to remember now. <laughs> no. Um, so, yeah, it was about five years ago. And I think I was ready for a challenge. I think being an entrepreneur always intrigued me. Um, uh, maybe it was watching too much Shark Tank. I don't know. But really, love that show. <laughs> love it. Love Barbara Corcoran. Um, so I think the catalyst was actually something that some people found a little bit silly, but I would drive to work at another law firm where I was very happy, but I would drive to work every day um, and see a sign for a couple months that said office unit for sale. And I thought, that's funny. I didn't really ever think about offices being sold um, in downtown Bethesda where we are. Most offices are you know, leased. And I kept passing the sign every single day. And finally, I asked a friend of mine who was a commercial broker to look into it for me. And she did. And it was the cutest little office. Um, It was owned by an interior design firm. So it was just adorable. (laughs) You know, it was just cuter cuter than most offices. Um, But I kind of sat on it. Somebody else took it. And then, you know, I thought there goes that cute little office. But (laughs) I didn't even know what I was going to do with an office anyway. But she said, let me keep an eye out for you because these go fast. So another one came available and I saw it. It wasn't as cute as the first, but it was still pretty nice. It was um, 644 square feet. And I thought... um, you know, it's a good deal. It was very affordable and the overhead would be extremely low. And she said, well, if you want it, you have to make an offer. And so I made an offer with no intentions of starting a law firm thinking they probably won't take my offer. And then they took it. Mm -hmm. And I thought, well, I have to, you know, sort of push myself into this. And And I thought maybe this real estate purchase is what will actually make me do this. Um, because I was pretty comfortable where I was. I think I could have stayed complacent and would kind of just be doing what I was doing. And I wouldn't, it wouldn't have forced me into that opportunity for personal and professional growth. Um, 
So I got the office and I had a friend who had run her own law firm before who wasn't practicing law. And I said, you know, can you help me kind of get this started? And I imagined that it would just be, you know, her answering the phone and me doing the work in 600 square feet for quite a long time. But things really took off and I just kept adding and adding and adding and I just hired my 12th employee. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's so interesting that you said, you know, you were happy. It's not that this was a decision um, that came from a place of being, you know, dissatisfied with what you were doing. But subliminally in your subconscious, it seems like there was something telling you you wanted something different. Maybe if you weren't even necessarily acknowledging it yeah. at the time. Yeah. Um, but that's that's what it seems like. And there was a sign that was a sign. Yeah, right? exactly. <laughs> that's, that isn't really cute enough to steal that one. Um, no, it's so true. I was really happy and I was professionally satisfied. Um, and there was just a little something in me that said, maybe you can do this. Um, and I was always intrigued by the business aspect of it. And I think that many lawyers, um, calling your law firm a business is really a big taboo. Um, I've had lawyers say it's not a business, it's a law firm. And I really strongly dispute that. And so from the beginning, um, I have run my law firm like a business and I love practicing law. And I never want to get to the point where I'm doing more of business running than practicing law because I love being a lawyer. I love what I do. I love family law. Um, and But I, you also, you have to do both. You have right. to run the business and run the legal, but you have to do the, do the work. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I love doing both. I think one thing you said that struck me right away as being a savvy business owner, whether you recognized it at the time or not, is that you didn't um, bite off more than you can chew. You mentioned it was 600 square feet and it was really affordable rent, which is hard to imagine nowadays in Bethesda, Yeah, <laughs> even for 600 square feet. But, um, but, but that's really smart, right? Because you were already thinking about your overhead and, and saying to yourself, okay, well, if I do this, you know, what's worst case scenario? Will I be able to cover you know, the rent and keep the lights on. And obviously you felt confident that you exactly. could do that. I thought of everything in terms of um, my billable hours. So my rate at the time was $350 an hour. And every single expense that I had, I thought, how many hours do I have to work to pay this thing? So when I leased a you know, commercial copier, like in the first week, I realized, you know, my at-home printer is not going to hack it for scanning <laughs> thousands of pages, no matter how much I want to save money. Um, when I signed the lease, it, I remember still, it was five years ago, it was $331 a month. And I thought, I have to basically work an hour for the privilege of leasing this copier. Right. And I thought of everything that way. Yeah. So um, one piece of advice one of my friends gave me who owns her own successful business is, you know, don't expand, don't get this space, for example, don't get more space unless you cannot do without it. Mm -hmm. So every single expansion that I've had, because we've grown our space, we've just um, expanded to neighboring units. Um, every single expense, I ask myself, do I need this? Um, because I am mindful of the overhead. Um, and every time I'm tempted to spend money on X thing, I think to myself, well, is this something that I need to spend for the business or would it be better to, you know, do my kids need, you know, X thing? I mean, at the end of the day, it's like, where is this cash flow going? Right. Well, and that's interesting too. So 
like, do you find yourself being financially oriented in general, or do you feel like you did that because you kind of had to? So I think I'm very interested in finances um, in general, and I was an English major <laughs> in undergrad, and I never had any formal business training. So um, starting the business, I started really devouring business books and just talking to a lot of small business owners, and people would recommend a book and I would read it. And um, several years ago, when I was dealing with a lot of small business owners in my practice, I realized that I didn't have the accounting background that I really wanted and needed. So I went to community college and I took accounting one and two so that I could learn about um, balance sheets, profit and loss statements. Um, And, you know, I've taken a lot of tax training as part of my practice. So I've learned those pieces over the years and I had that knowledge going in, which Mm -hmm. I think was really, really helpful. But I've learned a lot along the way um, from other small business owners. And um, for example, I didn't know anything, you know, we don't do a ton of what you would call quote unquote traditional marketing at all. And I never had any paid, you know, quote unquote marketing Mm -hmm. um, or I didn't have any paid advertising until I won some of those awards you said. (laughs) And they said, would you like to put your picture next to your award in our magazine? I was like, well, okay. (laughs) If you're honoring me, it's hard to say no. Right. But, um, you know, I didn't have any training in um, with respect to branding. I didn't know what branding was. I didn't know what is what is marketing? You know, what is PR, like what does it mean to have strategic relationships with other businesses? So I have learned that along the way from other business owners and from books, frankly. Yeah. And I was going to say, I, you know, we deal with a lot of business owners here at Hightower Bethesda. And I think that one thing that distinguishes ones that are successful is everything that you just mentioned. So it's having a curiosity in all these different things. There's different levels of aptitude. Um, you know, some people don't really care for finances or accounting, but they know that they, they need to know enough um, and, and be, you know, mindful of it for their business. Um, same thing with marketing. Uh, and, you know, your background is, is a lawyer. You weren't trained in those things, but you were always taking the initiative to find out what you needed to know and educate yourself. And, and I see that with our successful business owners as well, um, as well as leveraging a network of other people that were business owners and kind of learning uh, from them. So I think those are all really good, just points of feedback of things that you need to do because, you know, unfortunately when you're a business owner, you have to wear all those hats and you have to become knowledgeable in all those things. Um, When you started, did you have, this is a, a question I'm always curious about as well. Did you have a business plan? So I still don't really even know what that is. (laughs) So I think, um, you know, it's funny. I think that I Googled business plan and looked at one and couldn't even um, wrap my mind around it. But what I did do was um, I was still employed at my prior firm when I decided to start mine. And um, being a good employee, I, um, I had only one child at the time. And for so you actually started your own firm when you had a child yes, as well. Okay. Yeah. And how old was your child at that um, time? So she was two. Okay. Um, well, so- for everyone out there listening, I just want to say because I I know some other successful business owners that started with young kids too, and I think it's intimidating when you are and you do have a young child to take on that extra 
responsibility or to wonder financially what it might mean. So, you know, kudos to you for, for taking that plunge at that time. Well, I will say, I think, you know, being the boss and having children, it is in a lot of ways easier to be the boss than be reporting to somebody else. Because when I want to see my child, if I want to go to volunteer in her classroom, which I don't do ever, by the way, and I'm not going <laughs> to pretend I do, I don't do that kind of thing. But if I was that kind of person and, and I you wanted, wanted to, you if could. I wanted to, I could. Like, I don't have to ask anybody's permission to do it. Right. So I do think it is easier to be the boss and be a a mom then work for somebody else and be a mom. I'm going to say that. I'm going to put it out there. Okay. <laughs> it, it might be easier in that sense, but I think it is – I think there are a lot of sacrifices um, that you have to make too just from a time and the amount – of stress that you carry and your increased responsibility load and, and things yeah. like that, right? I mean, I think – so the goal is like one of the books that I really swear by that I read early on and I'm grateful for is um, – it's called The E-Myth Revisited. And so the idea in the book is essentially when you're creating a business, the idea is you um, are creating a business that can run without you there. Mm-hmm. So I love coming into work every day. I love it. I – laugh when people are like, oh, hey, it's Friday. Can't wait for the weekend. Or they're groaning about Monday. I look forward to every Monday. I love the people I work with. I love my office where I go. I love the work I do. So I'm annoying in that sense um, to be to, to be around because I love my job so much. But um, the idea is if I if I am not there, does it still run? Right. If the business doesn't run without me, it's not a business. Mm-hmm. Then I'm just um, beholden to my business. Yeah. And so the idea of the book is to create processes and standards that are consistent and repeatable so that if you are not there, the business keeps running successfully without you. And the thing I've heard um, – I've heard elsewhere, not from that book, is that in when it comes to a law firm, you know, somebody could take a two-week vacation. I think this applies to their businesses as well. Somebody could take a two-week vacation and work ahead of time to cover their work for their absence and then work like crazy when they return to make up for it. Mm-hmm. But if you can leave for a month and everything runs smoothly, then that's a business. Mm-hmm. So I, I think um, – that's what I'm striving for is consistent, repeatable quality. Um, and, you know, our mission statement and, you know, I recommend having one. Um, our mission statement is long and I'm not going to I'm not going to share the entire thing verbatim. <laughs> but, uh, you know, that's what sets us apart from other law firms, which is, you know, we have a really strong attention to detail. We're focused on customer service. And most people's complaints about their lawyers aren't, you know, I didn't like the way, you know, the citation of the statute in my motion to compel. I mean, people don't know that. But what they know is, you know, did my lawyer care? Was my lawyer pleasant? Was my lawyer um, responsive? Mm -hmm. Um, Were my calls and emails returned timely? Um, Did I like talking to the, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So um, I dispute the notion that, People don't like their lawyer. I dispute that. It doesn't have to be true. I, you know, I think it doesn't have to be an un- altogether unpleasant experience. So, right. And, and especially in your, what you're dealing with, because you're dealing with people that are going through, um, you know, arguably the, the biggest emotional 
kind of trauma potentially of, of their life. And so for them to walk away with it and say, well, you know what? I, I had a really great experience with Jessica, right? right. Like I'm happy it's over. It was stressful. I'm, I'm whatever emotions, you know, they're still de- dealing with, but if they can remove those to the side, cause they know that that doesn't have anything to do with you, but it is how you help them handle the matter. And so, yeah, I think that that person can really be a steward going through that process as to whether they are left with, you know, kind of a good or a bad taste in their mouth. Right. No, that's Um, true. Well, you talk a lot about culture and I think everything that you said really would resonate with anyone that wanted to be a business owner. Um, And I know it's very important to you and you spend a lot of time thinking about it and actually implementing things. Um, Can you give us just some example of, of, you know, how you build that culture uh, within your firm? Well, I think like, um, and I do think this applies to other businesses. Like we said, with if you have a happy customer, they are or client, they're basically like a brand ambassador for you. Yeah. yeah, going forward. And I think in order to have a happy client or customer, you have to have happy staff to mm-hmm. start off. For so sure. I think um, if people are happy at work, then that sort of radiates out to your clients and customers. And so I have. I, you know, I heard a business owner say this recently, and I tend to agree with it, where he he said, I'm kind of fanatical about my staff's happiness. So I think, you know, I've had people at work for me say before, like, nobody ever cared if I was happy before, (laughs) you know? Which is so sad. Yeah. It's so sad. And that's, and, you know, especially younger people, they want that. They want their boss to care about them or care about their happiness. Yeah. So I think creating that culture is huge. Yeah. And I don't mean, like, hugs and kisses. I mean, at the end of the day, like... (laughs) That might be an HR Right. Like, right. Exactly. (laughs) But, like, at the end of the day, we're running a business. So I'm not, I'm not one of those bosses that says like, oh, we're family and I love you. And it's like, okay, well, we're not family. We're It's a place of employment, but I want people to have job satisfaction. I want people to be growing. I want people to have goals. I want people to feel like they have the support they need to meet their goals. So, I mean, I, I would say I am extremely careful about my hires. And, you know, one of the books that I read that was really fascinating about that was um, one of the Barbara Corcoran books where she talked about, you know, she would meet people everywhere she went, including a server in a restaurant and say, like, have you ever thought about doing real estate? Because she was looking for a certain type of person. Personality, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I can teach people how to, you know, um, be a receptionist at a law firm. Like, they can learn that. But there are certain qualities that you're looking for that are not teachable. Right. Um, Culturally. Yeah. Um, Great. Well, uh, now that we kind of talked a little bit about culture, um, how do you define your brand and how has that changed over time? Because, you know, obviously when you start a firm, you have some ideas of what branding is or, you know, a pretty logo or something like that. But obviously that evolves as as your firm grows and you take on more staff. And um, so talk to me a little bit about that. Yeah, exactly. So, um, you know, about the logo, it's a funny story. When I was getting ready to set up my office and doing all those things you do, like make a website and order um, correspondence paper and that kind of thing, I was getting a logo made. And my husband said, you know, you can't get a logo made. And I said, why? And he said, you have to know what your brand is first. And I said, 
I don't know what that means. I don't have a brand. <laughs> and he said, well, what makes your firm different from other firms? And I said, nothing. <laughs> there are 500 family law firms in Montgomery County alone. I am just another one of them. And he was like, that is not an acceptable answer. So I spent a lot of time thinking, well, what makes me different? And at the time, it was just me. So, right, you know, right. it's it's um, it's sort of interesting how it went from the brand was me to the brand is now, um, you know, the law firm isn't me anymore. Mm-hmm. It's a it's a firm and everybody has, you know, very distinct personalities and different skill sets and that kind of thing. So the question is, you know, what makes us unique? And I do think one of the things that has evolved over time is that we all come from a place of positivity and we're all really, really passionate about our work. So I don't think anybody fell into family law by accident. Um, And well, I did a little bit, but I stated it on purpose. (laughs) Um, So I think we're all really passionate about doing family law and that's all we do. And we're really passionate about helping people and taking a negative situation and making it positive. And that sounds like an obvious statement, but I find that it's really not because I think a lot of other firms operate from a place of fear, which is something horrible is happening to you and you need to retain us or it will continue to happen to you. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we kind of focus on, well, where do you want to be? I always ask people, you know, where do you want to be a year from now? What do you want life to look like and how can we get you there? So it's taking something that is potentially traumatic and negative and not what you wanted and it wasn't the future that you imagined for yourself and trying to turn it into something positive and making a positive change. And I think everybody at my firm shares that, which is like genuinely caring for the client um, and genuinely wanting the best for them and really working hard to get them the best po- the best um, possible outcome. So we're, we are really focused on taking pride in our work, doing our best possible work and continuing to be educated. You know, we, I think, go to a tremendous amount of continuing education. And so we want to stay at the really top of our field because if we're not doing those things to continue to educate ourselves, like, you know, in my opinion, who are we? I mean, we need to be, um, you know, in contact with the thought leaders, being thought leaders ourselves, you know, attending educational seminars, teaching the seminars um, so that we can be the best that we can be. So you guys are really, you incorporate ideas about your brand through a lot of different mediums, whether it's like through the community or through your messaging or through the culture within your firm and like what the experience that the client has. I agree. I mean, brand is not just, you know, a logo and, and a slogan, right? It's, it's how you operate every single day. So that's great. Um, and so since this is a women business owner series, I have to ask, um, can you give us a little bit about your perspective on just being a, um, woman business owner? Sure. Um, I would say not a week goes by that somebody doesn't try and pick my brain about starting a law firm. And more and more I'm getting approached by not law firm owners, but other people, other mostly women, but not always, but mostly women that want to start their own business and they are scared. I mean, that's the so universal it's not, they're truth. They're not trying to start necessarily a law firm. They're just trying to start a 
business in general. Right. Okay. Great. And so I think, um, you know, people are scared of not having a steady paycheck. What happens if the clients or customers don't come? These are all natural concerns. Um, and I do think that women are more hesitant to take these types of risks in general. I just think that women are slightly um, more risk averse. Mm-hmm. I and, would agree with that. Yeah. And I think that, um, you know, there's plenty of articles and statistics out there about women generally rating themselves as being less skilled or less knowledgeable um, than men. So I think women are more commonly underestimating their abilities. Mm -hmm. And so I think sometimes maybe men are easier to sort of have like that overconfidence or what have you. I think, um, you know, it's not, what, what can I say? I, I give a lot of pep talks to other women. <laughs> there are a lot of women that I know that I say, you know, you're perfectly capable of executing on these tasks. I mean, right. you can do the substantive work. Right. You can, you know, I can help you with how to, you know, open your bank accounts, like get a CPA that knows what they're doing, you know, um, do your your branding, your what have you, you know, all the different nuts and bolts that go into having a business. I can you know, these are things that you're perfectly capable of doing, but um, there's a lot of self-doubt and sometimes you just need, it helps when you know somebody that's done it before. So it helps to have a mentor. It helps to talk to somebody that's experienced these things, that's been through these things. So they don't seem like insurmountable tasks. When you look at, say, you know, starting your own business, it looks like a giant hill to climb. It looks like a mountain when you're yeah. standing off to it's, the side. It's intimidating or yeah. overwhelming. Yeah. But then when you break it down to the elemental parts, you know, and you say to yourself, am I capable of going to the bank today and opening a bank account? Right. Yes, I think I can do that. So when right. I- Or even setting up an LLC is right. extremely easy. Right. right. So when I was starting my firm, I somehow got sidetracked earlier, but what I was going to say was I was working in another firm and I had about a month or two where I would put my daughter to sleep and I would spend between 9 and 11 p.m., two hours a night, just doing something. And I had a long list. I had maybe 30 things. And some nights, all it was, I remember one night, the only thing I did because I was tired was I, I priced shredding companies. And that was all I did. I just sent a few emails, you know, fill in but the very form, important get a quote. for a law firm. Right. So that was, but that was all I did. And the next day I walked into the bank and said, hi, I want to open a bank account, you know? Right. So each day. You were breaking it down into things that weren't quite as right, overwhelming. Right, bite-sized pieces. So, you know, you don't have to have a 12-person business, you know, you don't to have, start with and right, you're not right. And you and you won't. And yeah. it's okay. I mean, it's you just do it little by little and break it into the smaller parts and they're doable. Yeah, no, there's, there's no magic involved. Right. right. No, I think but you made some great points. I do. I do see that sometimes women um, might be more analytical or they're kind of over analyzing things or, you know, whereas men might be just more willing to kind of jump into it, which is yeah. actually kind of what you did initially yeah. when you took your plunge, but then you were being very methodical behind the scenes about, exactly. you know, structuring and the knowledge that you needed and, and all that type of stuff. So 
They say um, it's like uh, jumping out of an airplane and building the parachute on your way down. On your way down. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's it's accurate. A, yeah, that's a great analogy. You don't have too much time and there's <laughs> no room for uh, errors there, right? right. Um, okay, well, you know, looking back at starting your own business, what advice, and I think we might have talked through some of these things, but is there anything else that you just want to emphasize that people should do? Because because I totally agree with you. And to some extent, it's like Nike, just do it, right? Mm-hmm. But um, what would you say looking back? Let me think. I mean, a lot of things. I mean, I do think if you want to make your life easier, which I don't think I necessarily took this advice, um, I think I am more probably prone to risk than a lot of people. Um, I've been, my friends, some of them say I have an iron stomach, but I'm going to, I'm going to give advice that I didn't necessarily take, which is keep your overhead low. I mean, Mm -hmm. in this day and age, you really don't need to have for most businesses, brick and mortar. Mm -hmm. You don't need to have, there's a lot of these like remote office options. And that works for a lot of people. And you can, even if you start off remote, you don't have to stay that way. Or people prefer video. I mean, you can do video phone calls. Yeah. So for so many businesses, you don't have to have a fancy office or even any office at all, and you can keep your costs down. So really ask yourself for each thing, I mean, what do you really need? So I was speaking to somebody that wanted to open um, like a food truck, Mm -hmm. and they were planning on getting an Airstream trailer and retrofitting it. That sounds expensive. Yeah. And so (laughs) we started talking it through, and it was going to be – a coffee shop. And I said, how many cups of coffee do you have to sell to pay for the buying an Airstream and retrofitting it? And it was like an impossible amount of coffee. (laughs) And I said, you know, as much as you want to buy this Airstream, um, how much would it cost to rent a food truck that was already outfitted? Mm -hmm. Um, And that was a way better place to start. So, you know, ask yourself, And these are things that I have to do myself, which is, you know, sometimes you want the Cadillac thing and you really have to say to yourself, like, do I need the Airstream or could I rent the food truck instead? (laughs) And, and, and you have to kind of divorce yourself from the emotional attachment to Mm -hmm. some ideas and just say like, do I need this thing? Yeah. I I think sometimes where I, this is another area where I see people fail sometimes. And I think it's to your to what you're talking about is image, right? They're trying to project an image that they have not in fact gotten to yet. So this like brand new top of the line, state of the art. Well, you know what? That's an image for someone that has been successful in the industry for five years and can afford it or, you know, like get really good financing or whatever, gets promotions to use it and gets marketing attached to it, right? Like thinking beyond like for bigger picture, to what you want, but how can you get it and how does um at what point does it make sense? Yeah. Um so I, I think that's true. And I think sometimes people get, you know, eyes bigger than their stomach, so to speak, when it comes to hiring because they really want to go to that next level. Mm-hmm. And maybe and and I think, you know, it is possible to hire too soon. So when you're hiring a person, what I've come to realize is that you are making a huge investment in this person and they're making a huge investment in you right back. So they're investing in your vision, your brand, your business, um, and and you are potentially um, helping this person in their career, educating them, helping them to advance, and 
and they're paying their bills based on your work. And you're potentially not just supporting one person financially, but that person's spouse and that person's children. Many people, yeah. Yeah. And so could be their health care too. Right. Their health yeah. insurance, their everything. And so um, you know, when you're taking on a new hire, you're taking on a really big responsibility. Mm-hmm. And sometimes people say, you know, I'm gonna hire this person. So I have, you know, for example, somebody answering the phones or helping with filing. And yeah, sometimes that's the best decision. But other times maybe you could hire. I started off with Ruby receptionists mm-hmm. and had somebody that was really great, you know, their service to answer my phone. It was $250 a month. So that was a really great place for me to start. And I couldn't have afforded right away somebody as live support staff. And there's right. so many different ways to, you know, now you can um, – have virtual assistants. You can do all kinds of things that kind of help you dip your toe in. Mm-hmm. And so, but that, you don't get be- too far over your skis, it, right? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think another, uh, there was another topic that you talked about um, that I thought, thought was very helpful, which is having a pace setter. So finding a person that is maybe a little bit further out from where you are, but where you would like to be, Mm -hmm. um, and then using them to kind of inspire you, um, to define some stretch goals and to keep you motivated and, and use that person as a mentor too, potentially if you can, if you can, and it's just, you know, someone that you aspire to be, you can kind of look back at, at some of the steps that they've taken to get there. But I I really like that as a, a motivator as well. Yeah, I heard that um, on the Gretchen Rubin podcast, and I actually kind of Googled around and tried to figure out, did they invent this? And I couldn't find it anywhere <laughs> else, so um, I'm going to give her credit where credit's due. Um, but I do think that that can be fantastic, and what they said was it doesn't have to be anybody that you even know. Mm-hmm. Um, and so honestly, what I – so there are plenty of pace setter women locally that I look to, and I like what they do, and I like what they've done with their careers. I mean, there, um, you can say, and there definitely are hundreds of family law attorneys in the area. And then, um, you know, some of them have written books. Some of them have, um, grown a firm that's like a standalone firm. Some run a practice group in a large firm. Um, some have, you know, uh, pivoted and focused on mediation or, you know, what have you. Some are, you know, leaders in the bar association, others more in the community. So there are different things that I look at and I say, well, I like what this woman has done. You know, um, I don't like this other thing or that thing isn't for me. Um, But also I am aware of other family law attorneys and other attorneys in general around the country. And frankly, like there's 10, you know, there's millions of lawyers. And so what are they doing that I'm not doing? What are they doing that's interesting, that's groundbreaking, that's different, um, thinking outside of the box? So I kind of stay up on different lawyers in different areas of the country and how they market their practices, what they do, their career trajectory. And it's interesting. People people are doing lots of really cool things out there and it gives you ideas and inspiration. Yeah, I like that a lot. So, you know, having a local context and then expanding that out and, and having a national context for um, improvement, self-improvement and ideas. I love yeah. it. So, all right. Well... Uh, Thank you so much for your time today and all your insights and being a guest on our Women Business Owner Series. Thank you. Thank you. 
Hightower Bethesda is a group of investment professionals registered with Hightower Securities LLC, member FINRA and SIPC, and with Hightower Advisors LLC, a registered investment advisor with the SEC. Securities are offered through Hightower Securities LLC. Advisory services are offered through Hightower Advisors LLC. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities. No investment process is free of risk and there is no guarantee that the investment process or the investment opportunities referenced herein will be profitable. Past performance is not indicative of current or future performance and is not a guarantee. The investment opportunities referenced herein may not be suitable for all investors. All data and information referenced herein are from sources believed to be reliable. Any opinions, news, research, analysis, prices, or other information contained in this research is provided as general market commentary. It does not constitute investment advice. Hightower Bethesda and Hightower shall not in any way be liable for claims and make no expressed or implied representations or warranties as to the accuracy or completeness of the data and other information or for statements or errors contained in or omissions from the obtained data and information referenced herein. The data and information are provided as of the date referenced. Such data and information are subject to change without notice. This document was created for informational purposes only. The opinions expressed are solely those of Hightower Bethesda and do not represent those of Hightower Advisors LLC or any of its affiliates.